How wonderful to hear from people in our family, our spiritual family. We get to do that often. And I'm always grateful for how the Lord is speaking to us. You know, this is a, a really big Sunday. It's, it's kind of the Sunday of Sundays. As, as Pete said in the prayer room, it's like Super Bowl day. It's a big day for believers in Christ Jesus. The day that Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, a man from Nazareth, but also who came down from the Father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of a virgin. And he lived a sinless life and performed miracles and announced a new kingdom and turned humanity right side up by working on us from the inside out. You'd think that everyone would have received such a savior. But his opposition was fierce. Uh, he faced tremendous opposition. The Jewish high priest, he falsely accused him. He was hated by all of the scribes and Pharisees. He was turned on by the crowds. He was even deserted by his own disciples and eventually was sentenced to death by Pontius Pilate and executed by Roman soldiers. But while he was despised and rejected by all men and absorbed every blow that sin and Satan could land, on this day, Resurrection Day, he conquered both death and the grave. He overcame. He is Christus Victor. He is the victor, he is the overcomer. And we can boldly declare, and let's say it like we mean it, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Yes, he is, indeed. The days, you know, leading up to this moment, the resurrection, were full of intense emotion and spellbinding drama. Um, fickle crowds, um, tables being overturned, money changers being driven out, a fig tree that was cursed and died, a woman who had nothing but two cents, putting it in the offering plate, and Jesus commending her as having given the best offering. And then parables of the most poignant nature, the most profound of end times and the result of where they were, and woes, seven of them, to the religious leaders of the day, Pharisees and scribes, and tears and lament over a rebellious Jerusalem. He would see a torchlit mob come after him. But he did it on the night of the Passover when he eagerly wanted to expect and have this meal with them after he washed their feet. And then while he anguished in prayer, they fell asleep. And so the mob came and the kiss of betrayal by one of his own. And Peter pulling out a sword and cutting off an ear and Jesus healing the man right there in front of everyone. And still... His friends deserted him and scattered, and they arrested him and took him before the court. Let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 23, verse 32. Two others who were criminals 
were led away to be put to death with him. And when he came to the place that is called the skull, in the Greek it's crineon, which is where we get our word cranium from. In the Hebrew, Golgotha. They crucified him there. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There also was an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself. And us. Did you notice what they all said to him? I highlighted it in yellow for you. The rulers, the soldiers, even one of the criminals hanging next to him, they all yelled out, mocking him, save yourself. (laughs) How ironic. While they're yelling, save yourself, they're not realizing He came to save them. And maybe that's the most intriguing and surprising part of the gospel. That Jesus came to die, that he might save others. It's really quite profound when you think about it. It's a strange concept to most of us. Whenever we see someone be sacrificial towards another, um, we're inspired, but a little surprised, because it's just so rare. But there is no greater sacrifice than one who will lay down his life for his friend. And of those types of sacrifices... There is no greater sacrifice than the one Jesus made for us. John 3.16 says it this way, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And Hebrews 2.9 says, by the grace of God, Jesus tasted death for everyone. And 1 John 2.2 says, Jesus is the propitiation, which is a, a big word for me that means sin offering or appeasement. Or atonement. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, a lot of theologians like to argue whether Jesus died for everyone or just the elect. It's a long age old debate between limited versus unlimited atonement. Yeah. It's boring, you're right. I'll admit to you that most theologians are much smarter than I am. Most. But I personally believe that it's not either or, it's both. 
Yes, I believe Jesus knew for whom he was dying and that his death would ultimately benefit only the elect. But I also believe that his death was perfect. Not inadequate, but fully perfect. And it can save anyone who believes on him, who are also those God called and chose before the foundation of the world. But if you are sitting here today and you believe only one or the other, we can at least agree on this. Jesus didn't die to save himself. He died to save others. And that's profound. But some might even ask, as we're talking about this, why would anyone have to die in the first place? Why was it so necessary? Well, simply put, because we're a mess. We are without him lost and messed up, and we live in a world that is lost and messed up. I heard those amens. You know, with all the human achievement and medical and scientific advances, you'd think if we could have solved it, we would have solved it by now. But none of that is enough to fix all the messes that humans make in this world. None of it. Not better education, not more knowledge, not improved legislation, not buckling down and trying harder. It just doesn't work. We need a savior. We need to be saved. We're pummeled by fear and anxiety. We are torn up with insecurity and depression. We are driven by ambition and greed. We're controlled by lust and desire. And it all plays out in a world that is a mess, full of abuse and neglect and exploitation of others and war and rumors of war and rage and poverty and murder and crime and hatred and violence and evil and the list goes on and on and on. It's as if every time we start to fix one thing, something pops up in its place, like playing whack-a-mole at the arcade. We just can't hit enough to get them all knocked down. The Bible sums it up this way. It says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Or as Isaiah the prophet said, All we like sheep have gone astray. We all have turned, every one of us, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Why did someone have to die? Because our world is full of iniquity. Our problem is deeply rooted in the human heart. It's just not behavioral modification that is required. It is a transformation that creates us into a new image and into a new creation and into a new person. 
Our problem is so deep inside, it breaks us, even at an early age. In fact, we're born in brokenness. We've all made this slow turn inward where we start looking for the answers, but they just come out selfish and self-serving, where we protect ourselves at all costs and we serve ourselves at all points. It reminds me of an illustration that I used at Camp of Champions many years ago that involved a chalkboard and a bucket of water. Some of you, if you were there, you know. But I'm not going to do that here because, well, the carpet is new. And besides, some of you might call me out for my own sins as I name them on the chalkboard. So we're not going to do that. But I did see something that Tim Mackey from the Bible Project did. And it's even better. And so I'm going to use his illustration. Let's just say that I choose to make one bad decision today. I know, that's being generous. Um, I've probably already made several bad decisions, this being one of them. I don't know. But let's just say that I made one bad decision today. I, I chose to do something that was more about me and less about others. I, I maybe was hurt or offended or slighted in some way, and so I chose to lash out or grow defensive or hurt somebody else or get sullen and walk away. Maybe I was offended or misunderstood. Maybe I feel justified, but still, I hurt another. <clears throat> I missed the mark of God's glory and grace by making a mark of my own. And it's a mark that can't be erased. But I'm one of about seven, oh, 7.75 billion people in the world today. I know because I Googled it. And let's just say that each one of those people also chose to turn inward and do what seemed right in their own eyes. And in the process, they began to accumulate into what we see illustrated here, where so many marks that could have been for the glory of God were actually evil marks against themselves. Marks everywhere, 7.75 billion check marks, black marks, stains, things that can't be reconciled, hurt, offenses, selfishness, pride, arrogance, doing what seems right in my own eyes. I don't have enough time to do 7.75 billion. But you know, here's the problem. Our bad decisions they don't just end with us, do they? No. You see, if a father up here is not dealing with his anger and he chooses to lose his temper, that certainly is going to affect his wife. It's going to affect his children. 
going to affect the way he works with people. If someone who's got a porn addiction doesn't deal with it, it's going to certainly affect the person they're married to. It's going to affect their family. It's going to affect the people that made that porn. It's going to affect the people that sold it. It's going to affect the people who innocently came by it. If a mother is isolated and hurting and she chooses to spend too much or eat too much or be selfish or look for love somewhere else, her kids are hurt. If a kid chooses he's bigger than everybody else so he can bully, so he looks good and feels good, it hurts not only the kid that got bullied, it hurts the bully. If an old person is cranky, (laughs) why did you laugh? (laughs) And they're mad because nobody comes to see them or because... They think all the young people do it wrong today. And now, the ones that love them most can't stand to be around them. It's all interconnected. And all of this mess has gotten so messed up. I wish my marker was bigger because it would cover this whole screen. We've made a mess of it. We've made a mess of the world. Such a mess. But the gospel tells us that the Lord who created us has also come to redeem us. And that the Lord himself has laid upon him, the Christ, the iniquity of us all. He came to save that which is lost. Let's pick back up the story in Luke 24. Verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. You know, one of the most peculiar things to me about the resurrection is that it totally shocked his disciples. Even though it shouldn't have. He had told them on multiple occasions 
exactly what was going to happen. Like in Luke 9, 21, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. What was it that they would not tell? Well, Peter had just confessed him as the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, don't tell anyone. And then he said this, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And then again, later in Luke 18, verse 31, and taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. And here is the most profound verse of the story. But they understood nothing. Anyone can relate? They understood nothing he said. This saying was hidden from him, and they did not grasp it at all. I don't know how Jesus could be any more clear. But then again, I've had children. If you've had children, you know what I'm talking about. You could... Some of the children are sitting here and they don't know what I'm talking about. But if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You can be crystal clear and they don't get it. Jesus' disciples didn't get it. They had no framework for it. Yes, they believed in the resurrection, but that was at the very end. They didn't think it would happen right before their eyes. But why didn't they? They were there when Lazarus walked out of the tomb a few days ago. You know what this tells me is that even when God is crystal clear in what he says, our paradigm often blinds us to what he's saying. We can often miss it. We might hear what he's saying, but we don't live like it. And in essence, we don't believe it. Here's what faith means. It means believing what he said even when we don't have the framework for it. Or as the Hebrew writer said, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we haven't seen yet. That's what it makes for us. That's what it does for us. And that's what it takes for us to be saved. Faith. But that's all it takes from us. There is nothing else required, which is good because there's nothing else we could give. All we have to do is believe. Our salvation rests in a Savior because He conquered the grave. He conquered sin. I hope this works. He conquered death. The song we sang today said, He put death in the grave. What a switch, a And What we could not erase, He erased for us. So that now we stand 
clean in the Father's eyes. So what is there left for us to do? Believe. That's all. Believe him. Believe what he said and, and just say to him, I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he rose again and I believe that I follow him in his newness of life. What is there left to clean? Cleaning's already been done. Sins have already been washed. Stain has already been removed. The mark that we made, the multiple marks we've made, the marked up life we lived has been cleansed by the blood of the lamb. He paid it all. He cleans it all. He did it all. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph or his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah. Christ arose. This is the quote from Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. What is the difference which Jesus has made to the whole human mass? It is just this, that the business of becoming a son of God, of being turned from a created thing into a begotten thing, of passing over from temporary life into timeless spiritual life, has been done for us. Mm. Humanity is already saved in principle. Individually, we have to appropriate or accept that salvation. But the really tough work, the bit we could not have done for ourselves, mm. has been done for us. That's right. We do not have to climb up into spiritual life by our own efforts. It has already come down into the human race. If we will submit ourselves to the one man in whom it was fully present, and who, in spite of being God, is also a real man, he will do it in us and for us. Amen. Amen. We want to pray for you, and if anyone is in particular, touched by what the Lord is saying or doing right now. We especially want to hold you up. We're going to pray and in a moment sing a song. And then as we dismiss, you'll have opportunity for someone to stand with you and pray. What a great thing to do. We believe that the change that occurred because of today, because of his resurrection, can change you as much as it changed any of us. So may we respond to him now as we pray. And let the Lord do in us what only he can do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus that you planned before we were ever born. The one path to the right relationship with you. The one kingdom that can produce righteousness, peace, and joy. Yes. 
the one love that conquers even the grave. Mm. Father, I pray for anyone listening today who hasn't appropriated the gift that's already been paid for. I pray, Lord, that where they are, that you would invade their heart, that you would knock on the door and they would open it. The life that you give is the only one worth living. The only one where we get to be clean and we get to invite others into that cleanness. For those here who have already accepted your initial gift of salvation, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to break open our hearts, that we would be willing to be laid bare before you, that you would redeem and keep redeeming, that we would move from glory to glory in our knowledge of you, in our ability to testify to that knowledge, to live lives worthy of your calling. Our hearts are full of gratitude and worship that we cannot even express that you would save someone like me and call us friends and invite us into your work and whisper the mysteries that are yet to come all because you love us so. I'm reminded of the old hymn that says, were you there when they crucified my Lord? The black marks that were on our lives put us there. Every one of us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were there. We were there opposing the one who came to save us. We were there rebelling against the one who gave us life. We were there opposing the one who brought us peace. But oh, thank God, he came anyway. He came and he brought life. He brought hope. He brought peace and righteousness. And he made a way where there was no way. Oh, how we need a savior. We need to be saved. And we're so grateful that we have a great savior who came and died for us and paid our penalty that all the iniquity that had been done before and present and in the future was laid upon him that sacrifice once and for all would be made for our sin and today we can be saved wiped clean made whole standing in the newness of life and so we receive you Lord Jesus If we've received you before, we receive you now even anew because we need saving every day for truly we will once be saved 
We are being saved. And there is a day that is coming when we will be saved. I pray for anyone here today that has not believed, believed on Jesus, admitted that the mark is too heavy to carry around, the weight is too great, the stain is too deep. I pray, Lord, that your spirit that has been sent to bring conviction would bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Come, Holy Spirit, bring conviction, bring wooing, bring anointing to break the yoke in people's lives. And I pray that this this resurrection day, the day we celebrate when you rose from the dead, that they too will rise from their dead. We ask these things and more, that your spirit will give us newness, will give us even greater strength and even greater determination to spread this gospel to all those that need to hear. We ask it in your name, in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen.